Dear brothers and sisters, we celebrate today the solemnity of the body and blood of Christ, traditionally known as uh, Corpus Christi. The solemnity has been uh, instituted in the church in the 13th century, and I want to record the history because it's relevant for uh, the current uh, history of the church. The institution was the result of a long work of uh, Saint Julian, a canoness of Liege in Belgium. She was uh, deeply devoted, although it was not a common practice in the church, to the worship of the Blessed Sacrament. And in 1208, she received an apparition from Christ himself, who exhorted her to plead for the institution of a liturgical feast of Corpus Christi. Juliana's vision was brought to the attention of the local bishop, who instituted the feast in his diocese. But then the Holy Spirit wanted uh, that feast not to be confined in Belgium. And uh, a second event was uh, made happen by the Holy Spirit. In 1263, in Bolsena, a town nearby Orvieto, Italy, where the Pope was uh, actually residing, a pilgrim priest from Prague was celebrating Mass on the tomb of St. Martyr Christina. He was besieged by doubts about the reality of a transubstantiation. With this term, we mean that the substances of the bread and of the wine are turned into body and blood of Christ when the priest recites the words that Christ said during the Last Supper. Take this, all of you, and eat of it over the bread, and then over the, over the wine. The appearances during this uh, transformation remain the same as the bread and the wine. So later on, we can uh, drink, eat, taste what uh, we are supposed to eat as what is digestible for us, bread and wine. And uh, besides, the fact that the accidents remain like the ones of bread and wine, our faith is not overwhelmed, is not coerced, but freely we can uh, believe what Christ told us, that that bread is his body, that wine is his blood. Sometimes, however, God grants that even the appearances are transformed into the, one, into the ones of uh, blood, and of the body, the heart of Christ, in order to help our faith. Like that time, the priest was doubted by, by the, by, was seized by doubts about the transubstantiation, and while he was celebrating Mass, he had barely spoken the words of consecration when blood started to see from the consecrated host and trickle over his hands onto the altar and then the corporal. The priest was confused. He, at first, attempted to hide the blood, but then he interrupted mass and asked to be taken to the neighboring city of Orvieto, where the Pope, Urban IV, was residing. The Pope listened to the priest's account and absorbed him. He then sent emissaries for an immediate investigation. When all the facts were ascertained, 
he ordered the bishop of the diocese to bring to Orvieto the host and the linen cloth, bearing the stains with blood. With archbishop, cardinals, and other church dignitaries in attendance, a liturgical procession was put together to the cathedral, where the linen corporal bearing the spots of blood has been placed and is still reverently um, uh, worshipped today. It is said that Pope Urban IV was prompted by this miracle then to commission St. Thomas Aquinas to compose the Mass that still we celebrate today, the collect that I recited before we sit and the other prayers that I will recite uh, announcing this uh, solemnity and asking prayers for God through the blessed sacrament are composed for this uh, solemnity. This was not the first Eucharistic miracle. The first we know in the world, in the history, is the one in Lanciano in 8th century that I want to recall and go through because uh, differently from the one in Bolsena, the one in Lanciano has been uh, thoroughly studied in the 70s by scientific commission and the discoveries are, I'd say, astounding. It happened in the 8th century. It was a monk and priest, again, tragically doubted, who uh, doubted the reality of the presence in the bread and wine. During consecration, the host was changed into live flesh and the wine was changed into live blood, whose blood coagulated into five globules, irregular and differing in shape and size. They're still visible today. Various investigations were then conducted throughout history since the 16th century. With the tools of the time, the only thing they could do was to weigh the five um, uh, globules of blood, and each one of them weighed the same as all of them put together, defeating the law of gravity. But then in the 1970s, there were uh, scientific uh, investigations run by Professor Linoli at the University of Siena and by the, by the OMS. Here are the results. The flesh is real flesh. The blood is real blood. The flesh and blood belong to human species. The flesh consists of the muscular tissue of the heart. In the flesh, we see present in section the following elements. The myocardium, the endocardium, the vagus nerve, and also the left ventricle of the heart for the large thickness of the myocardium. That means, in short, there is a complete tissue of the heart. The flesh and the blood have the same blood type AB that was uh, discovered in the Shroud of Turin. It is also a rare blood type that is statistically more present among populations of the Middle East. The tissues are of heart who underwent traumatic suffering, like Christ on the cross. In the blood, there were found proteins in the same normal proportion 
as are found in the seroproteic makeup of the fresh normal blood. It means, in short, it's not just dried blood, it is live blood. And even this defeats the laws because it should dry up, it should die. It could not remain alive for so many years. So there is no further comment to give to these uh, results. Other Eucharistic miracles occurred recently and they were thoroughly investigated, bringing up the evidence of this reality of Christ's blood, body and blood under the species of bread and wine. The Holy Spirit inspired another saint to bring to our attention this uh, treasure that we, all, we often forgot about and we often take for granted. And it was Carlo Cutis, a young kid who died at about the age of 15, whose um, faith astonished the ones who lived with him. And uh, particularly his uh, mission was uh, to build an online exhibit where all the Eucharistic miracles recognized by the church are under invest, uh, serious investigations have been collected. We talk about hundreds of miracles. I invite you to check it out. What is uh, this uh, role that then also Carlo Cutis played? Is that uh, in the last, he died of uh, sudden leukemia, a strong form of leukemia with which he was diagnosed at the age of 15, and he died in a few days. And as soon as he realized that the diagnosis was so serious, he understood that was uh, God's will, was a cross that God granted him to carry. So his uh, devotion, his passion, his mission to bring to our attention the Eucharist has been also vouched by the way he lived as Eucharist. He lived as a pleasing offering. He did not just willingly accept the cross, but he decided to bear it for the sanctification of the church. It was, uh, I believe, the last years of the pontificate of Benedict XVI. And Benedict XVI, when he was already then Pope Emeritus, in uh, challenging the way the abuse scandals in the church were addressed by diminishing the priesthood, by diminishing celibacy, he specified that the crisis in the church finds its roots in the lack of belief in the real presence of the Eucharist. So we see in this all the strings pulled by the Holy Spirit. So may we regain this um, worship of Christ in the Eucharist through the practice of adoration, through the practice of serious confession, um, not receiving as many in the world pretend insist, claim to do, to receive it unworthily, as if it were a right, defying God with their public and scandal behavior. Let's receive it with humility, penitent, 
forgiven in the sacrament of confession and as a gift, as the bread of angels that accompanies us in this journey toward heaven.